0: Lauren Mike Lauren would you say that the ship has sailed on the evergiven story?
1: Ooh. Mike, I personally cannot get enough boat content. I see waves and I go click. So, my question now I guess is what is the future of shipping now that the evergiven is free?
0: Uh, I would have to say that you really are a nerd.
1: <laughs> I think we all are.
0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I am Michael Calori, a senior editor at WIRED.
1: And I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at WIRED.
0: We're also joined this week by WIRED's transportation writer, Ariane Marshall. Hello. Welcome back to the show. It's so good to have you here.
2: It's so good to be here once again.
0: So you might have heard about the big boat that got stuck in the Suez Canal last week. It was only one of the biggest stories on the internet. The cargo freighter Ever Given was cruising through the canal when it ran aground drifted sideways and got stuck there, completely blocking one of the world's major shipping routes. The giant freighter stayed stuck for a long time, six whole days. That whole time, no other boats could get past the ever given, the shipping industry scrambled to figure out what to do, and global trade was thrown into chaos. On Monday of this week, the ship was set free Trade started moving again, and the flood of hilarious memes on the internet is now slowing to a trickle.
1: (laughs) bum (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. But the
0: fallout of this fiasco will be felt for weeks and months to come. So later in the show, we're going to talk about how the shipping industry might hopefully avoid this kind of silly catastrophe in the future. But first, we need to bring everyone up to speed on the big boat. So, Arianne, please... You've written stories about this and you've been reporting on it since it happened please walk us through what went down in the Suez Canal
1: and also Ariana if I might ask yes. you because this is gadget lab if you could please evaluate the ever given as though it is a gadget thank you very much <laughs> oh my gosh I, don't, I wouldn't even
2: know how to begin to do that um, so so I, it, it was last. Tuesday, um, Egypt time, that these reports started to trickle out out of Egypt that there was a big old container ship stuck in the Suez Canal. Um, And so we're not going to exactly know what happened for some time, probably. And the reason for that is because there are so many insurers and lawyers involved here that they have to do a very big investigation but it sounds like what happened is that there was a big sandstorm a windstorm um, around the Suez Canal and it basically the Evergreen is a gigantic ship Um, and I imagine we'll talk more about these later but container ships keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger And this ship, it's at least 12 stories with all its containers on top of it, really, truly gigantic. And it sounds like the wind just kind of caught the containers like a sail and just neatly wedged this thing into the Suez Canal. Um, And no one could get by in either direction. Ships having issues in the canal is not totally unheard of, but usually they're able to sort of pull over on one side on the bank and people can sort of work on them. That did not happen this time. It really got stuck in there in the sand and it took six days to get it out. And it was extremely stressful uh, for a lot of people involved in this gigantic global shipping industry.
0: So when something like this happens, like who's in charge, like who do you call? Do you have like the canal cops or something?
2: Yeah, so there's a Suez Canal Authority, which is run by Egypt. Um, and the, uh, the other interesting thing I learned about canal operations while I was reporting on the story is that there is a canals, all of canal pilots that get on their ships and are in charge of really kind of guiding the ship through the canal. Um, clearly something went very wrong here. Um, but yeah, there's, there's like a, a, a body that's in charge of operating the canal. Um, and yes, they, they had to act as canal cops and construction people. Uh, to to get this this ship out of trouble.
1: And what exactly was on the ship? It's not totally
2: clear everything that's on it because these are private companies and they're not necessarily all scrambling to say like, oh my shipment of golf carts uh, or whatever, whatever's on there um, got, got stuck. We know that uh, the ship was going from China to Northern Europe. Its next stop was Rotterdam in the Netherlands. And we know at least some of the things that were on there. So according to some records um, that an analyst I talked to got a hold of, there was some ginger on there. There were some men's tracksuits. There was some <laughs> children's clothing. Um, but uh, but y- you can kind of guess um, that there was really... Everything that is made in Asia, which is everything, um, might have been on here. A huge mix of stuff. We also know that on the um, uh, so many ships were stuck behind the Ever Given, both in the Mediterranean um, and on the other side towards Asia. um, There was livestock, like living beings, stuck on ships, um, which is really sad. There was at least a hundred. 130,000 sheep that were supposed to go towards Romania. So like literally anything you can think of was at either on the Ever Given or on ships that were trapped by the Ever Given.
1: That's pretty bad. Oh, no, Next. no, no. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> no, no, no.
1: Okay, so once the ship gets stuck and there are people or equipment who are sent out to try to free the ship, who ultimately pays for that? Where does that funding come from?
2: So, so that's a great question. I, I don't entirely know the answer to it. I imagine it's the Canal Authority, but I don't know for sure. Um, I do know that the Canal Authority had a lot of has a lot of things ready in the canal to deal with situations. Um, For example, they have uh, a bunch of tugboats standing by ready to deal with stuff, Um, you know, like construction equipment standing by to deal with stuff. There was at least 12 tugboats that were at, uh, you know, at different points, either pulling or pushing this ship. So they, you know, they had some stuff ready. This is, you know, minor incidents happen sometimes. They're ready to deal with those. But this was such a weird freak thing. Um, You know, they had to call in a specialized salvage crew um, that, you know, people that specifically deal with fixing chips in place and, uh, you know, making sure everything is okay, making sure the equipment isn't going to hurt anyone. Um, it's It's a whole sort of infrastructure there, an industry dedicated to to helping ships be their best selves.
0: One of the uh, responses that we saw to the incident was, um, you know, earth moving equipment because uh, the ship ran into the sandy shore of the Suez Canal. They were digging up the sand. Uh, And we saw this photograph of like an earth mover digging away at the Suez Canal with a giant ship standing right next to it. And that birthed a lot of memes. Uh, there was also i think it was the egypt canal authority who put together these like sizzle reels of uh, showing oh, no. like the officials like doing their job
2: yeah amazing amazing content out of out of egypt this past week um but yeah they brought in dredgers to to make the canal wider um a lot of stuff and yeah the sizzle reels of like a lot of guys in suits kind of like with their hands on their hips looking up and being like that ship is stuck um
1: which i really appreciated what was like your, the michael was... bay music in the background <laughs> yeah what was your favorite meme both of you i can't remember any
2: specific ones my mind is like a cot i don't know swiss cheese at this point
1: i liked the one that showed the boat and said, it said COVID-19 pandemic on it. And then I think like The Digger was like, you know, one session with my therapist or something like that. I thought it was pretty good.
0: <laughs> my favorite meme was, uh, it was a recreation of the front cover of the, the Slint album. So there's this famous front cover of an album by a band named Slint. It's like an indie rock legend with the four band members in, in a, like a body of water. And somebody had photoshopped the boat behind them in the background uh, that was my favorite that
1: is so perfect for you, Mike
0: It really is it's why I brought it, really, it as it's an example
1: very very on brand okay so Ariane uh you mentioned that boats are getting bigger, right, and I imagine that's because our shiploads are increasing so what's the thought process behind having these kinds of freighters just become larger and larger versus i don't know increasing frequency of shipping or some other solution yeah it's it's and efficiency thing
2: um it is uh, you know easier for people to load um, travel on and then unload these gigantic ships versus you know at port having a bunch of tiny ships come in and out um, and the industry as a whole made a decision um, yeah more than a decade ago that this was this was the way it was going to be and the reason we know that's the case is because there were these huge dredging projects um, that went on around the world to dig ports to make them deeper so that they could accommodate these gigantic ships. But it it is true that this is really something that's sort of blown up in the past few years that Ever Given, um, when it made its debut in 2018, which is not that long ago, um, was one of the biggest container ships in the world. It is big enough to carry uh, over 20,000 20-foot equivalent units. So that's just the metric they use in the shipping industry, but that's basically like 20-foot shipping containers, Really big um, now. There's there are ones that are so much bigger. Um, there is uh, in China. They're building a twenty five thousand uh, TEU vessel. Um, so so they keep getting bigger and bigger. And it it seems like down the line they're going to have to keep dredging these ports uh, to make them deeper. So uh, there's going to be some infrastructure that needs to be realigned. Uh, to deal with this. But in all, it just seems like it's it's more efficient. Um, Everyone wants to get more efficient.
0: Yeah. So we can keep buying more and more stuff. Yes. (laughs) All right. Well, let's take a break right now. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how this incident is going to change the maritime shipping industry in the future. Welcome back. So the Ever Given has been freed and the Suez Canal is once again open for business. But it's clear from this debacle that the shipping industry has some issues. If the system falters when one boat blocks one trade route, it might be time to rethink our approach to global shipping. Luckily, experts and technologists are already working on that. Arianne, can you tell us what kinds of lessons the experts are taking away from this?
2: Yeah, so there are definitely a few. I think one, a conversation that's been happening for a while, and I imagine will only become more important going forward, is this question of, well, should these ships be getting as big as they are? Do we need these gigantic ships? Is there a better way to go? Um and some of that is a result of questioning what happens when, just in terms of physics, when you have a huge square thing that's a, uh, hundreds of thousands of tons on the water, uh, is that safe? Um, the The interesting thing about container ships is that, um, you know, the Ever Given, really big, uh, as as long as more than four football fields, There were probably only about 24 people on that ship. Um, There aren't a ton of people on these, um, which is good for efficiency and uh, keeping things cheap. Um, But it also, you know, if something goes wrong, it means that there's not a lot of people there to deal with it. Um, So there are these big questions about okay, should these ships be? as big as they are right now.
0: So has um, the now year-long pandemic affected uh, the shipping industry and the way they approach this stuff?
2: Oh, man. Yes, definitely. So something that's happened um, during the pandemic, particularly in North America is, uh, you know, not everyone is, is doing well economically for sure. We're in a recession, but the people who do have money are not spending it on going out to dinner or going on vacations. They're just like buying stuff. I know that I personally am talking from a little home office that I have had to create out of furniture that I've ordered online, um, that I didn't have before because I went to an office before. Um, and and a ton of people have done that. And that requires shipping. Uh, the other thing that's happening is that uh, cargo flights were stopped at the beginning of the pandemic because of, uh, you know, issues with the virus. The shipping industry was able to keep going. Um, so there's these huge ships that are now even more filled than they usually are coming over from Asia. And there are all these traffic jams at ports. There's been a huge traffic jam outside of the port of LA for a long time, port of Long Beach, uh, in Oakland, in California. Um, So a lot going on in the shipping industry during the pandemic. Another result is that there's actually this worldwide container shortage. Like there are only so many containers in the world um, and they're all stuck in North America right now. And so there's a lot of ships traveling from North America back to Asia that have just like empty containers on them, because there's not as much stuff going from North America to Asia. So it's really kind of reordered the way that this gigantic industry is working.
1: You've done some reporting on how things could change innovation, basically, in the shipping industry. And I want to get into some of the specifics of that. But first, maybe talk a little bit about where that innovation is ultimately going to come from, yeah, so I think I think the place where we've
2: seen the most innovation so far in the maritime industry is from the public sector. We've seen the u s. Navy makes some investments into, uh, you know, what is an autonomous ship look like? What, how could we use that? Um, how could that benefit us? Um, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, has also made some investments here. Um, but based on some conversations I've been having with people who focus on uh, on the maritime industry, um, there's, there's actually not a ton of private interest so far uh, investing in new technologies, um, for example, using artificial intelligence to help the people who pilot ships have more situational awareness or awareness of weather conditions. Um, all that stuff happens on a base level, but but folks I've talked to say there's a lot of potential to really up the game in the maritime industry. It's just about getting uh, you know VC people interested in this thing. It'll be interesting to see whether this incident in the Suez Canal, which, which created so much interest in what's often a really overlooked industry, will translate into more funding
1: for maritime technology. Maybe we should stage a boat traffic jam off the coast of Miami, and then all the VCs who have moved there will become very interested in it. Yes, something that like screws up the berries schedule. Yes.
2: <laughs> we have a plan.
0: Um, so a lot of the, the operations of the shipping industry comes down to logistics, right? Like deciding where resources get allocated, which ships go which way. Uh, who's who's doing the, the big work in logistics these days?
2: Yeah, so um, I'd say the big name in logistics is probably Flexport, which uh, is a company that uses like novel data sources to give more insight into how the supply chain is working. Something interesting that I learned about while reporting on the the container shipping industry, is just how few sensors and uh, tracking technologies exist in this industry. It's all technology that's out there and that's used in other sorts of logistics industries. But for shipping, for some reason, I think in part because of the really tight margins, doesn't generally invest in Figuring out exactly where all the goods are at exactly every point of the supply chain. And I think there are some startups, companies out there that really see that as a business opportunity.
0: I imagine it's probably also harder because it's a global system, right? Like in the U.S., you know, you have the U.S. Department of Transportation, which can tell you the location of any vehicle that's, that's like a, a government-owned or government-operated vehicle at any time because everything is so loaded with sensors. But, you know, communication of data between governments, like data transparency between governments has always been an issue.
2: Yeah, definitely. And like data standards, making sure it's in the right form so that it's readable on for everyone. Um, I think there
1: are just some issues that still need to be hammered out. So we also ran a story on Wired.com this week about the ways in which sensors could be used on giant ships to track tsunamis. And these aren't the necessarily the kinds of tsunami events that are, you know, the stuff of nightmares that are real and happen in coastal zones, but more the tsunamis that happen out in the middle of the ocean and are hard for scientists and researchers to track. But if you have sensors attached to these ships, they might be able to, over time, um, measure this sort of gradual rise in ocean levels to indicate, okay, maybe a tsunami happened there. And I'm wondering about sensors and ships in general and whether or not using these kinds of tracking devices could help prevent what what just happened with the ever given. Like if there was something that picked up the wind well in advance or some other pattern in the ocean before it headed into the canal.
2: Yeah, I don't I
1: don't exactly know the answer to this that question I
2: suspect that that kind of technology is better for ships that are just out in the open ocean and dealing with the, the mysteries of what goes on there the the Suez Canal is is pretty narrow and this seemed to be a kind of freak to accident but I think I think your um, that story is great and I think it raises a lot of interesting questions about whether there are things to be measured out in the ocean that would, you know, not only make the shipping industry more efficient, which is obviously a huge uh, priority for them, but also make it safer.
0: Um I want to encourage everybody to uh, read Ariane's story uh, that she wrote about the uh, the efforts to free the ever given. and also, uh, I think you have a story coming out next week that's going to talk about some of the uh, people looking to improve logistics in uh, worldwide shipping. Is that right? Indeed, excellent. So you can all look forward to that. You can also look forward to our recommendations, which we are going to do after this break. All right. Welcome back. This is the last portion of our show where we ask our guests and hosts to recommend something to listen to, enjoy, consume. Arian, you are our guest. You go first. Please tell us your recommendation.
2: Okay. I actually have a product this time. I feel like every time I come on here, I like
1: say something vague like spring cleaning or <laughs> like
2: taking walks.
1: Um, it must be a Washington, D.C. thing because Galah does the same thing when he joins us.
2: It's terrible. <laughs> um, but I have a laptop stand that I've been using called the Moft laptop stand that sticks onto the bottom of your laptop. Um, and it's only three ounces, so it's super light. Um, I was just visiting my vaccinated parents for a few days for the first time in a long time, and I brought my laptop to do work, and the stand uh, made it feel like I could maintain my posture, which I really appreciated, and it's not at all heavy. So, that is my recommendation.
0: How how tall is it? How much of a boost does it give the machine?
2: Well, it. I'm looking at it right now, and I'm terrible at estimating these things, but it's not, it's
1: probably about, like, five inches. Oh, yeah, look at that. It's pretty nifty. I'm looking at a photo on the internet right now. Yeah. I like it. It's pretty sleek, and it looks like it would be easy to pack. It's basically like, you know, the smart stand that you get with your iPad mic. Yeah, yeah. Like, the smart cover. It looks like a version of that, but for your your MacBook.
2: Yeah, and it just lives on the bottom
1: of my laptop
0: now very cool it's really
1: nice totally getting That's one.
0: cool lauren what is your recommendation
1: my recommendation is spring cleaning
0: <laughs> five stars five stars
1: <laughs> uh no okay so my recommendation i have to say with a caveat i'm not making any commitments here but i started using the peloton marathon training program some of you may know that a few of us at wired are peloton users in fact i just made a video about it online on the Twitter. So go to Wired's Twitter account and you can find that video. But uh, you you don't have to have the Peloton treadmill or bike in order to use the mobile app. And so on the mobile app, there are a bunch of different workouts and there are programs. And one of the programs is, you know, the road to 26.2. It breaks it into two parts. It's really designed for first-time marathon runners. I have never run a marathon before. I've run half marathons. And when I, whenever I finished a half marathon, I've said to myself, I don't think I could do that twice in a row. So this would be like a really big thing if I did it. But I just started using the marathon training app for fun. And so far, I am enjoying it.
0: Nice. Um, when is your first marathon going to be then?
1: <sighs> Public well,
0: declaration of intent. It's very uh,
1: I guess if I were to do it, it'd probably be in the fall, like San Francisco in the fall. Yeah. Maybe to san francisco which is which is september and it looks like a really really fun race but i don't know i did actually talk to so our former boss uh nick is a big marathon runner some of you may know that i'll we'll link to his stories in the show notes because he's written some great stories about it annoyingly he just has gotten like faster and faster with age but um i said to him recently uh so, Nick, like I'm looking at this program and I'm wondering, is it normal to think you want to do a marathon and then look at the program and think, oh, this sucks? And he said, no, the training is the fun part. The training is when you, you know, enter into this like meditative state. Like if you don't want to do the training, it's probably not for you. And I was like, oh, OK, so, so I'm tr- so <laughs> I'm trying the training to see if I can achieve that meditative state.
0: Well, I have, I have a recommendation that can help you achieve that meditative state, even when you're not running, which is way more fun.
1: Okay, what is it?
0: <laughs> I'm going to recommend an audio app. It's called Environments. Uh, you can download it. It's from a company called Numero Group. They're a record label. Uh, they specialize in reissues. So they find things that were recorded in the 50s and 60s and 70s, and they repackage them and remaster them and put them out with great art. Uh, this is... Sort of part of that, it's a digital reissue of a series of records that were put out, recorded in the late 60s and early 70s, and they were all called Environments, and they were numbered. So like Environments 1, Environments 2, Environments 3. Each one was like a side long, on an LP, a side long field recording. So you have all these recordings of things like, uh, you know, Dawn at the Swamp, or uh, people chanting Om, or uh a, you know a gentle rain in a pine forest um a beach uh you know it, like the waves crashing on a beach these were you know this is like before the whole new age sound recording thing sort of took over you know that corner of the of the record industry so these were really pioneering recordings uh th- the numero group has digitized all of them and put them into this app and you can buy the app for $3 And when you buy the app, it's not streaming. It's all just you download them onto your phone and you can listen to them at any time. You can also, like, loop them. You can build a playlist. One thing you can't do is, like, Google Cast them or send them to an AirPlay device because the app has kind of like a – yeah. You know, the app has, like, a sort of a a fun, different interface. It's not like your traditional, like, Spotify interface. Uh, So – that kind of stuff is a little more difficult, but if you listen in headphones or with a Bluetooth speaker, uh, it's a it's a fantastic listening experience. Uh, so that is my recommendation. If you want to try before you buy, all of those remastered environments are available on the streaming services. Uh, you know, whichever one you use. But the cool thing about the app, in addition to not having to stream them, and you've already downloaded them if you have the app, is that uh, there's like the liner notes are in the app. So you can see the original art and you can see some of the liner notes, like, you know, how they originally talked about it back in the 70s and how they're talking about it now in 2021. So that is my recommendation, Environments from the Numero group.
1: I love how the main image on the website is just an ocean, you know, shoreline, and it's called Psychologically Ultimate Seashore.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I think there's a story about that is the guy recorded it and he's like, this is the most perfect seashore recording I've ever heard. And then went out and recorded a bunch of others and none of them matched that first one. So he called that one the Psychologically Perfect Seashore.
1: That's amazing. There are also ones called Summer Cornfield, Creaky Sailboat, Country Stream, Blizzard. This is just kind of like living, you know, this is a soundtrack to your own very dramatic life movie my dad just got
2: his first iPhone and this seems extremely up his alley he's very into like Gary Snyder poetry
0: oh absolutely this is the best three dollars that he will spend this year
2: he's gonna he's gonna get this
0: nice all right well Ariane thank you of course as always for joining our show this week
2: thank you for having me it's so
1: nice to see you so great to hear from you again
0: so nice to talk to somebody who gives a ship <laughs> oh no, <laughs> no I'm very, very sorry. But yes, thank you for joining us. Uh, And thank you all for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all three of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes. This show is produced by Boone Ashworth, who is also on Twitter. We will be back next week. Goodbye. Hi, everyone. Michael from Gadget Lab here. I want to tell you about our friends over at The Big Take Podcast from Bloomberg News. Each weekday, they bring you one important story from their global newsroom, like how AI will upend your life or why China's targeting the U.S. dollar and maybe how Joe Biden plans to take on Donald Trump. Oh, boy. Check out The Big Take, a daily podcast from Bloomberg wherever you listen.